Well, the marching bands and we begin. Welcome to Rush to Field, the all-college football show right here on 610 Sports Radio. Jay Bakley with the producer that's always here with me, Julio Sanchez. Good evening, Julio. I hope you enjoyed the national title game this past weekend. But what a bizarre year for college football. Up and down, up and down. I give them credit. 127 teams ended up playing this college football season. And there for a while when the Big Ten said we're not going to play. They need the MAC, the Mountain West. They need everybody Pac-12 say we're not going to play. Try to find ways to squeeze in games. This year marked a tumultuous year in college football. You get excited for games and well, they wouldn't play them at certain extents. But it was the teams that were best prepared going forward that we can look as the teams that ended up making the college football playoffs in the end. We saw good football this year. We saw a Heisman Trophy awarded to Devontae Smith at Alabama. Talked a lot about him. Last week, but 127 teams ended up playing football. UConn, Old Dominion, New Mexico State did not play. That's pretty impressive in itself. Well, with the bowl season finished, I got to give a to the Big 12. They really showed up. And keep in mind, they only played each other like all the other conferences did. They basically played each other. They were not looking for game. Well, BYU played everybody because they're not in a conference. Notre Dame actually went to the ACC just this year only. But the Big 12 finished 5-0 in bowl games. The only conference to be undefeated in bowl games. The other one, the glorious Mac. 2-0. But it was only two games. The Big 12, five games. The Sun Belt. How about the Sun Belt? Remember the first week of the year? Coastal Carolina doing their damage. Louisiana doing their damage. Arkansas State doing their damage at Kansas State. Bad weekend for the Big 12 against the Sun Belt, but they finished 4-1. The SEC, 7-2. And the national championships, the Big Ten finished three and two. The ACC, <laughs> oh, it's six in bowl games. Not a good year for the ACC. Conference USA, 0 for six as well. Independence, two and one. But what we witnessed was an Alabama takedown of the Ohio State Buckeyes in not even dramatic fashion. It was just an old school beatdown between Alabama and Ohio State, 52 to 24. Alabama is one of these teams that boast the Outland Trophy winner in Alex Leatherwood. Landon Dickerson, the center, was the Remington Award winner. Now he played one snap because he hurt himself, had to have surgery, one snap of the national title game. It was a team a lot of people are comparing to the 2019 LSU Tigers, where Joe Burrow threw 60 touchdowns. Amazing team. Jamar Chase won the Blitnikoff Trophy. He's the best receiver of the country. Opted out the season. Justin Jefferson, part of that group. We know how good he is. But the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith at Alabama. And you can make an argument that Jalen Waddell is just as good or better than Devontae Smith. They're both going to be first-rounders. Devontae Smith will be higher than Jalen Waddell, but he did get hurt this year. Toughed it out and played. Cut three passes for 34 yards. A lot of people thought he should have opted out of that game for Alabama. Davey O'Brien winner. And Mac Jones, what a story he is. Three-star quarterback. I've heard a lot of, well, Alabama against the four- and five-star kids all the time. It's a three-star quarterback. Mac Jones. Justin Fields had a lot more fanfare coming out of high school than Mac Jones, who came in in the same recruiting class that Tua did. Fesco in the morning has a running gag every Monday, Julio. I don't know if you've heard this, but Fesco will text his partners on that show, Josh Klingler and Ryan Wachowski, when he thinks the game is over. It could be 7 to nothing, 14 to nothing, whatever. This is when he says the game is over. 
This is when I thought Alabama, this is when I thought the game would be over. The kick will be going right to left as you listen in at home on a beautiful night to settle the national championship game. We're underway as Riker's kick goes to the goal line. Fair catch made by Demario McCall, and that will give Ohio State the football. The opening kick. There was no way. Ohio State had to get a waiver to play, play in the Big Ten title game. I'll give them full credit. That first-round playoff game against Clemson, give them all the credit. For the last five years, Clemson's been in the college football playoffs, including two national championships in that game. But it was all Alabama. And a lot of it was, well, record-setting performance in the first half. 215 yards on 12 catches. 12 catches is a title game record. 215 yards a title game record. Three touchdowns as well. Devontae Smith lived up to the Heisman hype. Here was his first touchdown for Mac Jones. Play action. Mac looks, floats it out, left side. Devontae angles for the corner of the end zone. He is in. Touchdown Alabama. Touchdown Alabama. Five and a half yards. Nice touch pass by the quarterback. But Ohio State would come back. Tie it up. So Alabama basically went Mac Jones back to Devontae Smith. Alabama on a second down play. Mac looks wide open, left side. Najee out of the backfield, makes the grab at the 10. Cuts inside the defense. He'll fire forward. He's got a touchdown. They lost him out of the backfield. 26 yards. Mac to a wide open Najee. And once the defense... Oh, excuse me. That was Najee. That made the score 21-14. Here's the second Devontae Smith touchdown. Devontae in motion from the far side to the near. He goes back, then he comes back again to the near side. Here's the throw on the out round. It's caught and taken in for a touchdown by Devontae Smith. He put everybody in motion back and forth and back and forth. Finally, Seven Banks just couldn't quite keep up with the play, and Devontae's got himself another touchdown. 28-17, that made the score Alabama. Mac Jones would go straight back to Devontae Smith. This is all the first half, ladies and gentlemen. Second down and eight from the 44-yard line. Mac straight drop. Mac looks long. Mac finds Devontae behind the defense. He is in for a touchdown. Thank you, Mr. Heisman. Thank you, Mr. O'Brien and Unitas Award winner. What a combination. 44 yards, touchdown, Alabama. The voice of Eli Gold. No relation to Alex. From the Alabama Football Radio Network. But it was the Najee Harris show, the Mac Jones show, and Devontae Smith. He did end up getting hurt. Hurt his finger. Third quarter. Didn't play much in the second half. Played a little bit of third quarter, but not much. But in the end, it was Bama roll tide. Two seconds, one. And that is it. The final score, Bama 52, Ohio State 24. Alabama does it. Season SEC wins an SEC championship, a Rose Bowl championship, and national championship number 18. 13 and all absolute perfection. Nick Saban all smiles after the game. Well, to me, this is the ultimate team. All these guys bought into everything they needed to do to be the best players that they could be. There's more togetherness on this team than almost any team that we've ever had. And they had to overcome and persevere so much adversity through this season. And they've done it magnificently. And I'm so proud of this group for what they've been able to accomplish and going undefeated and winning the national championship. So I was up pretty late that night. Watched the post-game interviews. Watched Scott Van Pelt, the noise is the national championship coach on with him. And there was Nick Saban, 
Now keep in mind, this is all before I watched the Tiger Woods documentary, part one of two. Don't know if you've seen that yet, but it's excellent. And Tiger reminds me a lot of Nick Saban. These guys that want to win at all costs. Nick Saban made a lot of sense. I even likened this to the Kansas City Chiefs. Those that handle disruptions the best are the teams that are standing at the end. Well, I, I think this team, I told this team in the very beginning when we knew we were going to have a lot of disruptions that the team that handles the disruptions the best is the team that's going to have the best chance to be successful in the end. And this team really did it. And if you talk to the players, they actually say that a lot of the disruptions and a lot of the things that we weren't able to do, whether it was spring practice or summer conditioning or whatever it was, actually made the team, the team closer. And we became a better team because of some of the disruptions, which I was actually surprised to hear. But certainly they demonstrate that in the way they compete and play. This was a year of self-sacrifice. This was a year where players couldn't go really see their families. This was a year where a lot of players couldn't go out to the bars, couldn't do the things, uh, go to the restaurants, the mall, whatever the college kids do. They couldn't do a lot of that because it was, well, focusing on a national title. Coming back and playing was a sacrifice. A lot of guys opted out. Those that came back came back for a purpose, raised their draft stock, and, of course, win a national title, which with Alabama was something because, I said, Landon Dickerson, people weren't even sure he was going to suit up, suited up, took the final snap, won the Remington this year. Jalen Waddell, Came back from a broken ankle. Had a hell of a year. It's going to be a first-round pick. Still wanted to play in that game. But as Nick Saban says, when things are taken away from you, you really appreciate the things you have. Well, I think sometimes when something gets taken away from you, yeah. uh, we all have a lot more appreciation for it when we get it back. And there was no question that that was the case this year with this team. Uh, and I think that may have been some of the what made this team closer because they realized that, hey, we may not play this year. We may not be together. Um, they didn't know what for sure the future was going to bring. Uh, and I think when they all did come back, they really appreciated that we had an opportunity to play and wanted to do all they could to have success, and they certainly did it in a, in a very fine fashion. Nick Saban passed Bear Bryant with seven national titles. Now, Bear Bryant won six with the University of Alabama. Nick has won six with the University of Alabama, one at LSU. So the confetti is falling on his head. He has just won his seventh national title. But what do you think he wants to talk about? The ones he lost. Well, I, I, you've heard me say before, I hate to lose. And I don't care how much <laughs> you it. win, uh, you still hate to lose. Yeah. And you can talk about the seven that we won, but the two that haunt me are the two that we lost. And um, don't, don't ask me why it's that way. Um, I, I have a lot of pride in performance and want to try to do the best I possibly can. Uh, as a coach, uh, to have the best program, that creates value for the players. I'm talking about value in terms of personal development, academics, and graduating and developing careers off the field, uh, career development, and, and the football players. I mean, sure. and I think that's one thing that people overlook about the program is we really do try to create value for players, and I think that's why we get a lot of good players. I love that. It's that drive, the desire. Again, I watched Tiger Woods after this. Same deal. Same deal. He hated to lose. He wanted to bury Phil Mickelson. You know, he wanted to beat him on 18, wanted to beat him at the Masters. It was unbelievable stuff with Nick Saban. And a lot of teams, you know, have been people have been arguing the fact, is this the best team ever? Paul Feinbaum thinks it's the best Alabama team ever, told Mike Greenberg on Get Up. Easily. Uh, just the offense alone uh, answers the prize. I mean, he's had better defenses. Uh, that, that, that goes without saying. Uh, he's had some of the greatest defenses in college football history. But this offense is unparalleled. 
And just, you know, what, what we saw in the first half last night with Devontae Smith, but the follow-up with, with what Reese said a minute ago, Greeny, I think what, what's going to make this more special for Nick Saban and, and for college football is the struggle to get here. Countless times, as you said, we talked about whether we'd ever get to the first game, let alone the last game. And even a lot of people who, who thought we'd get to the first game never dreamed we'd get to Monday night. So uh, this is one of the most remarkable stories I have ever seen in the history of college football. There was no bubbles. There was no other systems like the NFL where you're tested every day and the money is fruitful. This was college football trying to find a way to get by. But I think Paul Feinbaum made a great point because this is a problem we have to talk about with college football, and I'll discuss it next with Nick Romberg on Yahoo. But this is what Paul Feinbaum said could be a real problem in football, and I 100% agree. There's a simple solution, Greeny. Every school in the country that wants to be competitive kick in about $10 million and then go to Nick Saban, get down on your knees, and beg him <laughs> to retire. He is the problem with college football right now. Greeny, uh, I, I think, uh, seriously, the, the, the only way to even have a chance to make this uh, better is to expand the playoff. That's not a guarantee, though, as Reese said. Uh, what you do then, by, by adding four more teams, you help them in recruiting. Right now, players want to go to playoff teams. They don't want to go to somebody playing in some off-brand bowl before before New Year's Day. So that that is really about it right now. I think the, I think it will be expanded in a couple of years, though. So there's Feinbaum saying it will be expanded. I agree it should be expanded. They missed a golden opportunity to expand it this year. They should have taken advantage of it, dead like the other leagues did, and, and changed the playoffs. Here's the thing. If Ohio State would have beat Alabama, they've had seven title games with the playoffs. Seven. Ohio State would have won two of them, Alabama two of them, Clemson two of them. That's six of the seven by three schools. There's 130 teams in FBS, LSU with the other win. But Alabama's won three, Clemson's won two. That's five of the seven by two schools. Unbelievable there. But he says it looks like eh, it could be expanding. Don't forget Gary Pinkle told us the same thing last week. You know, our, our playoff system, uh, I, I really think college football is going to find a way, uh, Power Five, to to have a national championship and have more of a tournament and try to get, try to get, I thought that, I thought, I think the, the people that are vote, vote for this have done a tremendous job, but, you know, we, we I think we, we got to say, hey, let's find a way to get in our 12 teams into that, into that championship and just, it's like the postseason again. Like the NFL, you know, they're 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 in the playoff season. It'll be the same thing for uh, for uh, Power Five football, and and all the all the determination of the winners will be done on the field. So I think that's something that's down the road is going to happen, and uh, you know I think it's uh, pretty exciting. So there's Gary Pinkle saying it's going to happen. Paul Feinbaum thinks it's going to happen. We'll ask Nick Bromberg at Yahoo Sports next if it will happen. You're listening to Rush the Field with Jay Binkley, 610 Sports Radio. And welcome back to Rush the Field. Jay Binkley with producer Julio Sanchez. Joining us now, a man that we can dive deep into college football. It's Nick Bromberg, at Nick Bromberg on Twitter. College football at Yahoo Sports CFB and NASCAR for Yahoo Sports as well. What's going on, Nick? What's happening? How are you, Bank? Nick, do we have a problem? Because, all right, if Ohio State would have won, three teams would have won six of the seven championships that we've had so far in college football with the playoffs, the other one being LSU. Now, 
as we sit now, five of the seven years have been won by two schools. Feinbaum, I had played some audio earlier where he said, hey, these recruits are going to start going and playing for these college football playoff teams. I think if you and I were to sit down and talk, we probably would have had Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson in the playoffs. Notre Dame would have been debatable, but three of the four we probably would have got. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and it's, it's also, too, there's no coincidence that the teams that are going to the playoff year after year are the ones that are producing NFL talent, draftable NFL talent year after year. I mean, guys are picking schools based on not only the chances to win in college, but the fact that they have a really good chance of being players in the NFL. And, and you know, you saw that today with the four-star Alabama players declared for the NFL draft. There's going to be, you know, Justin Fields is declared at Ohio State. There's going to be underclassmen declarations at Ohio State too. You see Trevor Lawrence going to go number one. There, Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars. So and on and on and on. And so you know, we we look at LSU as the aberration, I guess, so to speak, of the college football playoff with Ohio State winning its first year and LSU last year. But then you also have to look at it from the aspect of just how many LSU players were taken in this 2020 NFL draft and realize that kids, I think for a lot of four- and five-star guys especially, it may not necessarily be about winning in college, but becoming that early NFL draft secure your financial future and your professional future. Speaking of Urban Meyer, you brought him up. He becomes the 12th coach since 2000. Field Gates had it earlier on Twitter, but 12th coach since 2000 to join the NFL ranks from the college football ranks. Now, this will be less pressure. There's no recruiting. There's no talking to booster clubs. Um, It's going out and using the $70 million under the cap space, taking whatever quarterback you want in the draft, which is probably Trevor Lawrence. What do you think about Urban Meyer not going back to college, going back to the pros, and is this short-lived, and he heads back to college in, say, three years? You know, I think he's done as a college football coach. And I think – I think some of that will have to do with uh, the name, image, and license changes that are around the horizon, whatever that horizon mm-hmm. may be, given that the NCAA keeps tabling this. But also, I think, because of the recruiting aspect of it, and I think he wants to try his hand at, at coaching football without having to recruit 80% of the year, um, recruit high school athletes. And I also think, too, this is a job that he, he doesn't take if there's no Trevor Lawrence to head to Jacksonville. You know, he, he's... He's in a situation where he has a franchise quarterback basically going to be on that team at, come April of 2021. So this is a, you know, I think San Diego was an appealing job. I know we interviewed out there. That was an appealing job, too, because you had a franchise quarterback already there in, in Justin Herbert versus, say, the market like the Jets. And I don't, anyway, I don't think New York would have been an option given, you know, Urban Myers. Um, why, we all know that his stress levels and his health issues that have come with that. To me, I think the biggest question is, you know, who does he hire to run the offense and the defense? I think he's going to want some people with NFL experience because you can't have a you can't have a staff without some people at the high level with NFL experience. And also, too, how is Urban Meyer going to adjust to losing? And you know, this is a guy famous, famous, famous for just absolutely being traumatized every time his team lost. Urban Meyer nine losses, the head coach, you know, Ohio State. So how he's going to probably end up losing more games in Jacksonville in his first year than he did his entire Ohio State tenure. How is he going to handle that as a coach? And then more importantly, quite frankly, as a human being in terms of managing his stress levels and his health, because, you know, he does have that arachnoid cyst, which is what caused him to step away at Ohio State. 
What'd you think of the title game? I mean, well, first of all, you know, what would you think of the title game with Alabama and Ohio State? Obviously, Alabama team was loaded. Because I want to get your, you know, just how tough it was, you know, just to just to endure the college football season. The Alabama had their challenges, but as Nick Saban said, those that have handled disruptions the best will end up on top. Yeah, you know, I, I, Alabama was a fitting champion to this. You know, we, this was a very unpredictable season, not necessarily on the season. I think, as you said at the start, you know, three of the four teams we would have picked before the season made the college football playoff. Um, but in terms of how the season went with cancellations, postponements, practice schedules, you know, and, and this is a team that I, I truly do think, you know, has a has the argument. You can at least make the argument in a realistic conversation with is 2019 LSU or 2020 Alabama the best college football team of the modern era, and, and probably ever because I, I do think teams get better as we go on. And I think you know, for all of for all the talk, I. I College football playoffs needs to expand without a doubt. It needs to go to at least eight teams, and we can start from there. Uh, just to get more faces and more interest in it, because I think we can all agree interest is down with only 19 million people watching the playoff Monday night. Um, but, you know, college football fans have also gotten a chance to see that, that 2018 Clemson team was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, with Trevor Lawrence as a freshman and, and what they did to a loaded Alabama team in the title game there. You know, we have seen, I think, three of the best college football teams in the last two decades win the championships in the last three years. And Great. I do think, you know, when you look at when you look at Alabama, when you look at just what Devontae Smith did, I mean, he had his LeBron moment in, in, the, in the title game. And, you know, when you look at this and say, we have witnessed two of the best teams in college football history to play over the last two seasons. No, I, I agree with you, and... You know, I've had a lot of you know a lot of talk with that Alabama and LSU team. I mean, LSU had 14 draft picks last year, five first rounders, which is a record. The 14 tied uh, 2004 Ohio State. Um, yeah, I mean, but I think the offensive line would favor Alabama with Leatherwood and Dickerson. I think Najee Harris and Clyde a split, and you could even argue, okay, Jamar Chase won the Bolitnikoff, opted out the season, Justin Jefferson, but. With Alabama, you had Devontae Smith and John Mechie, and you had Jalen Waddell, who got hurt, and had Waddell been healthy the whole season. I'm not sure Devontae Smith even wins the Heisman. It's, it's, a, it's a great question. You know, if, if a lot of people thought that Waddell and Smith were pretty were on level playing fields um, before Waddell's injury, and obviously Smith took over and just was absolutely unstoppable. And you're right, you know. You take Joe Burrow, a quarterback, I think, over Mac Jones, and yeah. no disrespect to, to a Mac Jones who threw for 4,500 yards and a 77% completion percentage. I mean, just absolutely unreal. And, and you know, you said at LSU, five first rounders. This is an Alabama team that, quite frankly, I think has a chance for, for six or seven because you look at. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, Leatherwood, I think, is an absolute first round pick. And so you put him, the four guys who declared today, Mac Jones, Jalen Waddle. Christian Barmore, Patrick Sertan, I think they all have good shots to go in the first round. Sertan's a lock. Sertan's a lock. I think uh, Waddle and Devontae Smith are locks. Yes, exactly. And Barmore. Mac Jones lock. Down the stretch. Mac Jones is the interesting one to me. I wonder wonder how pro scouts are going to view him as we start to kind of go through this, go through the scouting combine, because we all know that the knocks against players are going to come out. I can see Matt Jones being the back half of the first round kind of guy. And in the sense that he doesn't have the, the dual threat that Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence can provide you, not even Justin Fields or Trey Lance. Um, but I think people are going to see enough 
of the way that his his accuracy he throws Mac Jones throws a hell of a deep ball. I mean, one of the best deep passers in college football this year, just phenomenal with that. I think if I had to guess what the prediction would be on Mac Jones in terms of his not going to the NFL, it is going to be his production with a pass rush because, as we just said, that Alabama offensive line was absolutely phenomenal. He did not get pressured that often. I think scouts, that's the one drawback for him professionally is, you know, he played behind just an iron wall. What is it going to be like when he starts seeing blitzes up the middle of the NFL level? Nick, it's always uh, fun to talk to you. I've had a lot of fun this year with college football. Uh, it's time to watch some NFL playoffs uh, this weekend, as we did last weekend as well. And have a lot of fun with that. I'm curious to see what Urban Meyer does at the pro level. But Nick, Nick Bromberg from Yahoo Sports, always good to talk to you, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. And, and got to savor this on Saturday. It's going to be our last, the last time we've had football every Saturday since August. I know. Our last time. I know. Saturday. I know. Oh. It's a sad day. It is. It is. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you later, my man. We'll, we'll see you. There's Nick Bromberg right there. Coming up next, Kansas State has been invited to play in the kickoff classic. At Stanford, they're moving the game from Manhattan to Arlington, Texas. There's only one guy to talk to about this. Send the bat signal to Manhattan, Kansas. John Kurtz next. You're listening to Rush the Field with Jay Binkley, 610 Sports Radio. Hey, welcome back to Rush the Field. Jay Binkley, Julio Sanchez producing. Time to go out to Manhattan, Kansas. Talk to the sports director at K-Man there. Also does Faithful to Her Colors podcast on the 435 Podcast Network. All K-State all the time and a kind contributor to this program throughout the year. What's up, John? Not too much, Bink. How are you, my friend? Well, good. We've already hashed out the season and what's uh, what the 2020 season was with all its uh, challenges that it presented uh, a lot of the local schools. But there was news with the K-State football program yesterday. And I know they're taking a game out of Manhattan, and it kind of sucks. But it's the right thing to do. Kansas State will kick off the 2021 season September 4th against Stanford at AT AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, the All-State Kickoff Classic. Um, I love this. I'm glad they're doing it. I think this is great exposure in the state of Texas for Kansas State and the national exposure and playing a team for the Pac-12. That'll be fun. Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, it's been a really polarizing topic um, with K-State fans because you are, as you said, taking a game out of Manhattan. You are taking a game away against a Power 5 opponent and a decent name, which doesn't happen uh, all that often. And the thing that's made it more complicated is doing it in light of the pandemic. So you have a business community around Manhattan sure. that is really hurting because they didn't get the opportunity to have typical game day atmospheres, like all the bars and restaurants and everything associated um, with K-State football. Just they did not make the same amount of money this year because of limited attendance. Now, there's a lot to consider here. I'm I'm with you. As I said, I think it's the right move. I think you need to do it. One, K-State's getting a $2.8 million guarantee, uh, which is (laughs) a lot of money. Yeah, $2.2 million net is what K-State's anticipating here. And the word that they have given is that they typically net around $500,000 from a home game. So you can do the math there. And yeah. see how much K-State's recouping for themselves as an athletic department, which is a part of this, right? Yes, you'd love to be able to help out the Manhattan business community, but K-State athletics is also taking a big hit financially themselves. And on top of that, I would say what makes even more financial sense here is taking the 
uh, guaranteed $2.8 million when you don't know what things will look like in September with the pandemic. Obviously, we want to hope that there will be full stadiums, but that I do think is not a guarantee. No. Um, so go ahead and take that money right now if you can. The other part of it is I love it just from a competitive standpoint, what it can do to help your program. You get to go play one of these games. I mean, the teams that have played in this thing at AT&T Stadium since it started back in 2009, I believe was the first one. I mean, it's Alabama, LSU three times, Michigan. I mean, USC was supposed to play Alabama there this past year. These are high-profile teams that typically do this. It's great exposure. It's going to be on Labor Day weekend when things are kind of spread out uh, from Friday through Sunday across the college football world. You hope you get a primetime TV spot. can put a lot more eyeballs there. It's in a great spot in Texas. K-State has 20 kids from the state of Texas on their roster. That's more than double any other state not named Kansas uh, on the roster. So it's clearly a recruiting base for K-State as well. And it's something – recruits and players will be excited about. We've already seen the reaction from the players on social media. They're really fired up about this. So uh, to me, there were too many positives to outweigh the negatives uh, of taking away a home game and hurting the business community a bit there. I think it was something that K-State had to do, and uh, I'm glad to see it. I'm I'm fired up for it. I think it'll be cool. It's a catch-22. You know, you can't always have your cake and eat it too. And as far as support the local community, hopefully people will fill up the bars, the restaurants, and everything else to watch. Um it is a spotlight game for Kansas State because it's a weekend before the NFL starts. You mentioned the uh, players on the roster from the state of Texas. It's obviously a fertile uh, recruiting ground, and it is important for those guys to play in their home state, playing at Jerry's World there down in Dallas. That's a big deal for those kids. They didn't get to go to a bowl game this year because they decided not to because they had the COVID issue. So it's kind of like starting off with a bang. And as you're right, we don't know. We don't know if there's going to be full capacity, 70%, maybe 60 We don't know. You know, we don't know what it's going to be. Now, hopefully, at some point during the season, we see full stadiums again. But as you said, there's no guarantee for that, but there's a guaranteed check for Kansas State. Yeah, and another part of this, too, a couple of other factors. One is that K-State already has a really home-heavy schedule next year. So they were going to, with the Stanford game, have eight home games, which is one more than yeah, typical. the high mark typically would be. Like Right now, it's been going back. You would have – You'd hope you shoot for seven every year, and that's how the season ticket packages are sold based on having seven home games. Uh, but some years, like last year, uh, K State only had six with the, the way that things worked out. The Big 12 split, um, going from one year having five home games, one year having four, tilts in K State's favor this time around. So you had basically an extra home game to play with. And that's why K State had been, um, they had this in the works for at least a year. I mean, it was about a year ago that we first started to hear some whispers of this, and I I thought it was going to happen uh, pre-pandemic. Obviously, it didn't. But the other thing here is, for the businesses, you are, again, getting seven home games, still a normal home schedule. And then you hope that things like this can start to push you down the road of elevating the status of the program. And if that works, if that does elevate the status of the program, that creates bigger business out of K-State football for everybody. Um, A rising tide lifts all boats, right? And if K-State football is humming and becomes a better program and has a bigger profile because of doing things like this, there will be more money to be made in the long term uh, for a lot of different businesses and the whole economy in, in the city of Manhattan around K-State football as yeah, well. Yeah, and obviously that's very important. And the fact is, two things drive college football, money and recruits. And it's a great opportunity. As uh, Gene Taylor, the AD, said, the idea of taking a home game away from Manhattan was a big decision. Says our student athletes will have the opportunity to play in one of the world's finest venues. 
7,000-plus alums in the area that will have an opportunity to go watch Kansas State. As you mentioned, big dogs have played in this. Alabama, Michigan, Auburn, Wisconsin, Oklahoma, LSU, Oregon, and Florida have all played in this game. So K-State gets to put their name amongst some of those teams that have been invited for the kickoff classic. Yeah, and I think if you you think about the exposure this game can potentially provide and then juxtapose that against what happens if you do stick with that game just being in Manhattan – K-State's played a lot of 11 a.m. kickoffs lately. There's no guarantees on what that would be, but that feels to me like an 11 a.m. kickoff. Uh, maybe maybe Fox, maybe Big Noon Saturday, something like that. Um, but it, it's not going to be the, it's not going to have the same kind of juice to it that I think it will have in this time slot. And I, I like what you said. College football is absolutely driven by money and recruiting, and, and the money is definitely right here. And this is something that's going to be a bigger recruiting advantage, undoubtedly, than just playing another home game. So. You know, it's one of those things you have to bite the bullet, I think, with the fan base. And, and it's it's been pretty split. I mean, I put out a poll. It was almost dead even. One side started in front. And by the end of the poll, uh, the other side had surged just in front. So you're, you're definitely going to hear it from some of your fans who really love the home games. They wanted the excitement of all of that in addition to the business concerns. But, man, at the end of the day, the fans will be happy if you win. And to win, you need to recruit. And now you see, like, the whole domino effect in the road that we're going down here with this. Uh, let me ask you one more thing before we let you go, John. The quarterback situation, Jake Rubley, highly touted recruit, coming to Manhattan. He played in Colorado, but then he had to transfer uh, to Des Moines where he could play football. And we've seen guys in the Kansas City area do the same thing. He's going to be in Manhattan. Will Howard's in Manhattan. Skylar Thompson coming back to Manhattan. What's the, what's the quarterback situation looking like for the Wildcats? Well, it's very intriguing. I mean, I think it's definitely – I mean, Skylar Thompson's going to be the guy. It would take um, a monster performance from Rubley or Howard to unseat him. But, I mean, if you're a fan, you can start to dream, uh, right, with, with Rubley coming in. I think the one thing I caution fans with as far as that is concerned, he is a four-star recruit. He is somebody that had an LSU offer, had a Michigan offer, uh, the highest-profile recruit K-State has had since uh, Kansas City's own – well, Grandview, I suppose, but Josh Freeman – um, back about 15 years ago, I just worry about the expectations being a little too high for him because K-State is not used to having recruits of that caliber. I mean, you take a quarterback of Rubley's caliber and throw him, even at a, a place like Oklahoma State, you know, they've had some players that are of that ilk. There would still be excitement about him, but not quite to the level that there is here at K-State where, you know, frankly, at the end of Bill Snyder's reign, they just weren't recruiting anybody anywhere close. Um so I think the expectations will be very high for him. We'll see how quickly that, that all plays out. All the indications are that he'll be good. He's got an NFL uh, father, NFL quarterback father. Um, so he's someone that's grown up with the game and, and seems very sharp, poised, just seems like he has a lot of charisma and getting a chance to talk with him here fairly recently. I think the forgotten man is Will Howard. Yeah. Everybody's excited to have Skyler back. Everybody's excited for the future and, and what Rubley can bring, but here's a guy in Howard who started the second half, well, more than the second half of the season, really two-thirds of the season last year, and handled himself very well um, both on and off the field, but in particular on the field for the first handful of games before things really fell off. And keep in mind, he, he was here in spring, but he didn't get any semblance of a spring, uh, spring practice at all. In fact, I was out working out at a local soccer field at one point during the pandemic, and I saw Will Howard coming over to throw balls. I mean, that, <laughs> that was his spring practice. So he, he did not get um, any real semblance of what somebody should. So he'll have a chance to do that, and he'll, he'll get every opportunity, I'm sure, to put himself into that race. But that, no doubt, will be something that garners a lot of headlines. That is. 
John Kurtz, sports director, K-Man in Manhattan. Check him out on Twitter at JL Kurtz for all things Kansas State Wildcats, including Faithful to Our Colors podcast on the 435 Podcast Network. Thanks a ton, John. Hey, anytime, Bink. Always appreciate it. There you go. Nice talking to John Kurtz there. Big contributor this year. He was my K-State guy. Pinkle was a Missouri guy, and Alex Gould was a KU guy. Well, this was news for Kansas State, plus Darren Sproles going into the College Football Hall of Fame. How about that? That's something remarkable there. Coming up next, we'll kind of encapsulate what 2020 was in college football. You're listening to Rush the Field with Jay Binkley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back to Rush the Field. Jay Binkley, Julio Sanchez. Full day of football on 610 Sports Radio tomorrow, beginning at 5 a.m. Pete Sweeney, Dusty Likens, run it back. Playoff special. Then, of course, Brandon Flowers joins Festival in the morning at 645. The voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis at 730. And 11 o'clock at Cody and Gold, Pete Sweeney. Then, at night, a fun show, Bink at Night. Got Kurt Warner, it's Hall of Fame edition. Kurt Warner and Michael Irvin to talk about the Chiefs playoff game. And we'll also talk to Michael Borman out in Cleveland. And two guys in a brew with Goat Brewing in Lee Summit. Nivens stops by with us there, so that'll be fun. But uh, a wild year in college football, and the excitement of next year is there. I mean, Missouri wasn't able to play in their bowl game because of COVID issues. And you look at this year, the second signing day will be on Wednesday, February the 3rd. 247 has Kansas State's recruiting class at this point, 17 commits, 52nd in the country. Missouri ranked 27th in the country with 22 commits. Kansas 45th with 24 commitments, including Ray Peck's state championship football team, Conrad Howley, the quarterback there. A hard commit, of course, he'll sign before that happens. But anyway, that's the uh, the local recruiting angle for the teams uh, going forward this year. And I think Mike Leach really kind of, uh, I think, spelled out what the season meant in college football. Mississippi State finished 4-7. and seven. They won the Armed Forces Bowls over Tulsa. And that was a team that, let's face it, they had a lot of uh, things go uh, didn't go right. Didn't have the Mike Leach, quote, air raid offense installed at Mississippi State. But he kind of encapsulated what 2020 was for these college football teams back in one of his last press conferences at Mississippi State. Hey, recruiting, what can you do? Well, you can do this. You can't do that. Well, you can do this instead. Well, you can do that, but not this. Okay, and then, okay, are we going to go ahead and have signing day when it is? Yes, we are. Uh, well, maybe we're not. Yeah, we probably are. Yes, we are. Okay, uh, okay, are we practicing today? Oh, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> okay, so uh, this many guys were positive. Oh, okay, who are the contact tracers? we got to tra- track that down. Okay, well, how many O-linemen do we have? Okay, well, who's going to play guard? Okay, now, um, <clears throat> uh, do we have enough corners? Well, I don't know. Well, this guy... Uh, he played a little corner in high school. And then, um, okay, what time does this start? Well, I don't know. They're going to change that. Okay, uh, now there's a procedure for this. We're going to test this many times a week. No, it's going to be that many. Okay, and so contact tracers are out this long. Okay, no, they're out that long. Okay, what, what constitutes a contact tracer? And then in the back of that, you're wondering, okay, well, the NFL does it one way. We do it another Okay, and then, um, uh, you know, it's just the stop and start and just the incessant uh, change, adjustment. Uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you guys are dealing with it yourselves. I mean, you, I see you all sitting in these rooms, and uh, some of you look a little more cheerful than others, and some look uh, 
tried to look cheerful, but you're kind of gloomy because you're stuck in there. And then, um, uh, and so then, uh, you know, we're sitting here, you know, doing it like this and, and, and pretending it's all for real. And uh, this is just like a regular press conference. Yeah, this is such a brilliant idea. Let's do it like this all the time. I mean, everybody's been through this and, and, and um, you know, the ter determination. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we got some problems we have to deal with. Um, and then, you know, anytime you get committees involved in something, it's going to be convoluted, twisted up, and then at every step. And in the end, uh, together with all the commotion and clutter, we've created one of the most joyless seasons on earth. And hopefully we have the presence of mind to not repeat it this way again. <laughs> one of the joyless seasons on earth. I don't think Nick Saban in Alabama would put it that way. And again, we saw a weird bowl season. I give him credit for a lot of the bowls dropped out. Usually have 40 down to about 32 is what it ended up. Some teams opted out of their bowl games because I was supposed to play Missouri, but with COVID issues, they couldn't. And then you had the opt-outs. Tylen Wallace, the first team all Big 12 receiver for Oklahoma State. He basically opted out at halftime of the bowl game. They didn't make a lot of sense. College football had an opportunity to expand the playoffs this year, and they chose not to do that opportunity and basically ended up with the same cast of characters in the college football playoffs. This would have been a fun year. You know, throw Cincinnati in the mix, see what they could have done. I know Liberty had a hell of a year and Coastal Carolina a hell of a year. But put the Power Five conferences in. You know, the Pac-12, they couldn't even find teams. They didn't have a replacement to play in the Pac-12 title game. It was a confusing year. And as Mike Leach said, there was always the contract tracers, things that went on. You thought you could play football and then you couldn't. I know Chris Kleiman in Kansas State played football games when he was kind of below the threshold where he could have called the games off. We saw Michigan-Ohio State canceled this year. We saw COVID be an issue canceling a Clemson-Florida State game. It happened all around college football. It was the challenge of coaching this year, which was extremely tough. Had a lot of conversations with Gary Pinkle throughout the year on the issues and the challenges coaches are facing. And I'll think they'll look back at 2020 as one of those years thinking, man, you know, it's tough enough with these kids, making sure they're not taking $100 handshakes, make sure they're not getting discounts at places. Bobby Bowden once told me that he used to fear when the phone would ring at 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the morning. It was one of his players. But then you throw in the whole pandemic mix and our guys getting in classrooms or whatever they're at and bringing it back and your whole position group is wiped out. You think the Denver Broncos had problems when they didn't have a quarterback one game. College football was dealing with this quite a bit. All the kickers were gone from your team. And you got Sarah Fuller from the uh, the Vanderbilt girls soccer team to be your kicker. I mean, things were different. People had to adapt to different things in college football this year. But I'll give college football a lot of credit for trying. I think some conferences did it better than others. I think the SEC and Big 12 did it better. They played some of their final games that last weekend. They allowed bye weeks because they didn't cancel things right off the bat like the Big 10. Hey, we're not going to play. Then all of a sudden they're going to play. And they had to kind of rush things, and it put teams in a bad position like Wisconsin. You're thinking, all right, are they going to be able to play in the title game or not? Or Ohio State technically wasn't eligible for the title game how it was originally set up. And this is a team that won a college football playoff game and was in the national title game, given the conference big-time exposure. But as Mike Leach said, a joyless season. I don't think it was joyless watching these games. I enjoyed watching these games. Now, we didn't have those big non-conference matchups like Ohio State versus Oregon this year. Next year, we'll see that. Kansas State will open in the kickoff classic on September 4th against Stanford, non-conference opponent. 
down in Dallas, Texas. That'll be fun. College football will return, hopefully, to what we know it as. And that's an escape on Saturdays to tailgate. Go see your alma mater. Watch the great sport of college football. See the interconference matchups. Try to put a litmus test together so the committee isn't guessing who's good and who's bad just by what they think. But instead, you get to see it played out on the football field, and I think that's the most important thing. They should have expanded the college football playoffs. They had the opportunity to do it, and they chose not to. The NFL expanded their playoffs, which they're going to keep because they were going to do it anyway, pandemic or no pandemic. Major League Baseball expanded the playoffs for the pandemic. Hell, the NHL is playing outside the bubble, and they reorganized every division just so they could get all the games in. NFL, 256 games on the schedule. All all 256 games were played. Anyway, thanks for uh, joining us this year. This is the final edition of Rush the Field for this season. We've had a lot of fun. Our contributors this year, John Kurtz for K-State Wildcats, Gary Pinkle that joined us each and every week for the second straight year, talking about the University of Missouri, and Alex Gold this year that came on and talked about the Kansas Jayhawks and their football program. Big thanks to Dick Bromberger, Yahoo Sports, who came in with us. Paul Kills, the voice of Ohio State, that joined us last week. Thanks to Julio Sanchez for producing each and every thing, trying to keep me down to a certain time. I get a little long-winded at times, and Julio was there to save the day. Anyway... College football hopefully returns next year. Enjoyed talking college football with you. See you next year. Well, actually, I'll see you tomorrow night. Good night. You're listening to Rush the Field with Jay Binkley, 610 Sports Radio.